Chapter Thirty Five of Arema. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Dodge. Arema by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter Thirty Five. The Sexton. With such things in my mind, it took me long to come back to my work again. It even seemed a wicked thing, so near to all these proofs of God's great visitation over us, to walk about and say, I will do this, or, even to think, I will try to do that. My own poor helplessness and loss of living love to guide me laid upon my heart a weight from which it scarcely cared to move. All was buried, all was done with, all had passed from out the world, and left no mark but graves behind. What good to stir anew such sadness, even if a poor, weak thing like me could move its mystery? Time, however, and my nurse Betsy, and Jacob Rigg the gardener, brought me back to a better state of mind, and renewed the right courage within me. But first of all, Jacob Rigg aroused my terror and interest vividly. It may be remembered that this good man had been my father's gardener at the time of our great calamity, and almost alone of all the Shoxford people had shown himself true and faithful. Not that the natives had turned against us or been at all unfriendly. So far from this was the case that everyone felt our troubles and pitied us my father being of a cheerful and affable turn, until misery hardened him. But what I mean is that only one or two had the courage to go against the popular conclusion and the convictions of authority. But Jacob was a very upright man, and had a strong liking for his master, who many and many a time, as he told me, had taken a spade and dug along with him, just if he were a job and gardener born instead of a fine young nobleman and nobody gifted with that turn of mine likewise very clever in white spine cowcumbers could ever be relied upon to go and shoot his father thus reasoned old jacob as he always had done so and meant evermore to abide by it and the graves which he had tended now for nigh a score of years and meant to tend till he called for his own were, as sure as he stood there in Shoxford churchyard, a-talkin' to me, who was the very image of my father, God bless me, though not, of course, so big-like, the graves of slaughtered innocence, and a mother who was always an angel, and the parson might preach forever to him about the resurrection, and the right coming uppermost when you got to heaven, but to his mind that was scarcely any count at all, and if you came to that, we ought to hang Jack Ketch, as might come to pass in Revelations. But while a man had got his own bread to earn, till his honor would let him go to the workhouse, and his duty to the ratepayers, there was nothing that vexed him more than to be told any text of Holy Scripture. Whatever God Almighty had put down there was meant for ancient people, the Jews being long the most ancient people though none the more for that did he like them, and so it was mainly the ancient folk, who could not do a day's worth worth eighteen pence, that could enter into Bible promises. 
not that he was at all behindhand about interpretation, but as long as he could fetch and earn at planting-box and doing boulders two shillings and ninepence a day and his beer, he was not going to be on for kingdom come. I told him that I scarcely thought his view of our condition here would be approved by wise men who had found time to study the subject. But he answered that whatever their words might be, their doings showed that they knew what was the first thing to attend to, and if it ever happened him to come across a parson who was as full of heaven outside as he was inside his surplice, he would keep his garden in order for nothing better than his blessing. I knew of no answer to be made to this, and indeed he seemed to be aware that his conversation was too deep for me, so he leaned upon his spade and rubbed his long blue chin in the shadow of the church tower, holding, as he did, the position of sexton, and preparing even now to dig a grave. "'I keep some well away from you,' he said, as he began to chop out a new oblong in the turf. "'Many a shilling have I been offered by mothers about their little ones, to put them inside of the, quote, holy ring, quote, as we call this little custer, but not for five golden guineas would I do it, and have to face the captain, dead or alive, about it. We heard that he was dead, because it was put in all the papers, and a pleasant place I keeps for him to come home alongside of his family. A nicer gravelly bit of ground there couldn't be in all the country, and if no chance of him occupying it, I can drive down a peg with your mark, miss. Thank you, I answered. You are certainly most kind, but, Mr. Rigg, I would rather wait a little. I have a very troublesome life thus far, and nothing to bind me to it much. But still I would rather not have my peg driven down just, just at present. Ah, you be like all the young folk that think the tree for their coffins ain't come to the size of this spade handle yet. Lord bless you for not knowing what he hath in hand. Now this one you see me a raisin of the turf for stood as upright as you do a fortnight back, and as good about the chest and shoulders and three times the color in her cheeks, and her eyes almost bright as yourn be. Not aristocratic, you must understand me, miss, being only the miller's daughter, nor instructed to throw her voice the same as you do, which is better than gallery music. But settin' these accidents to one side, a farmer would have said that she was more preferable, because more come atable, though not in my opinion to be compared. Excuse me for making so free, miss, but when it comes to death we has a kind of right to do it, and many a young farmer come into the mill was disturbed in his heart about her, and far and wide she was known being proud as the beauty of the moonshine from the name of our little river. She used to call me Jacob Diggs because of my parochial office, with a meaning of a joke on my parental name. Ah, what a merry one she were, and now this is what I has to do for her. And sooner would I adoot it, almost, for my own old ooman. Oh, Jacob, I cried, being horrified at the way in which he tore up the ground, as if his wife was waiting. The things you say are quite wrong, I am sure, for a man in your position. 
You are connected with this church almost as much as the clerk is. More, miss, ten times more. He don't do nothing but lounge on the front of his desk and be too lazy to keep up amen while I, at my time of life, go about from absolution to the fifth Lord's Prayer with a stick that makes my rheumatics worse for the sake of the boys with their pocket full of nuts. When I was a boy, there were no nuts, except at the proper time of year, a month or two on from this time of speaking, and we used to crack they in the husk and make no noise to disturb the congregation. But now it's nuts, nuts, round nuts, flat nuts, nuts with three corners to em, all the year round nuts to crack, and me to find out who did it. But Mr. Rigg, I replied as he stopped, looking hotter in mind than in body. Is it not Mrs. Rigg, your good wife, who sells all the nuts on a Saturday for the boys to crack on a Sunday? My missus do sell some, to be sure, yes, just a few, but not of a Saturday more than any other day. Then surely, Mr. Rigg, you might stop it by not permitting any sale of nuts, except to the good boys of high principles. And has it not happened sometimes, Mr. Rigg, that boys have made their marks on their nuts and brought them again to your shop on a Monday? I mean, of course, when your duty has compelled you to empty the pockets of a boy in church. Now, this was a particle of shamefully small gossip, picked up naturally by my Betsy, but pledged to go no further, and as soon as I had spoken I became a little nervous, having it suddenly brought to mind that I had promised not even to whisper it, and now I had told it to the man of all men. But Jacob appeared to have been quite deaf and diligently went on digging. And I said, Good evening, for the grave was for the morrow, and he let me go nearly to the stile before he stuck his spade into the ground and followed. Excuse of my making use, he said, of a kind of a personal reference, miss, but you be that pat with your answers. It maketh me believe you you must be sharp inside, more than your father the poor captain were, as all them little grass buttons argueth. Now, miss, if I thought you had headpiece enough to keep good counsel and ensue it, maybe I could tell you a thing as would make your hair creep out of them curious hitch-ups, and your heart almost bust them their braids of fallallies. Why, what in the world do you mean? I asked, being startled by the old man's voice and face. Oh, nothing, miss, nothing. I was only a joking. If you bain't come to no more discretion than that, to turn as white as the clerk's smock-frock of an Easter Sunday, why, the more of a joke one has, the better to bring your purty color back to you. Ah, Polly of the mill was made for color, as good as for the eyesight as a chainy rose in April. Well, well, I must get on with her grave. They're a-coming to speak the good word over em on sundown. He might have known how this would vex and perplex me. I could not bear to hinder him in his work, as important as any to be done by a man for a man, and yet it was beyond my power to go home and leave him there, and wonder what it was that he had been so afraid to tell. So I said quietly, then I will wish you a very good evening again, Mr. Rigg, as you are too busy to be spoken with. And I walked off a little way, having met with men who, having begun a thing, needs must have it out, and fully expecting him to call me back. 
But Jacob only touched his hat and said, A pleasant evening to you, ma'am. Nothing could have made me feel more resolute than this did. I did not hesitate one moment in running back over the stile again and demanding of Jacob Rigg that he should tell me whether he meant anything or nothing, for I was not to be played with about important matters, like the boys in the church who were cracking nuts. "'Lord, Lord, now,' he said, with his treadled heels scraping the shoulder of his shining spade. "'The longer I live in this world, the fitter I grow to get into ways of the Lord. His ways are past finding out, saith King David.' but a man of war from his youth upward hath no chance such as a gardening man hath. What a many of them have I found out! What has that got to do with it, I cried. Just tell me what it was you were speaking of just now. I was just a-thinking when I looked at you, miss, he answered, in the prime of leisure and wiping his forehead from habit only, not because he wanted it. How little us knows of times and seasons and the generations of the sons of men. There you stand, miss, and here stand I, as haven't seen your father for a score of years almost, and yet there comes out of your eyes and into mine the very same look as the captain used to send when snakes in the grass have been telling lies about me coming late or having my half-pint or so on. Not that the captain was a hard man, miss far otherwise, and capable of allowance more than any of the women be. But only the Lord, who doeth all things aright, could have made you come with a score of years atween, and the twinkle in your eyes like Selah. You know what you mean, perhaps, but I do not, I answered quite gently, being troubled by his words, and the fear of having tried to hurry him. "'But you should not say what you have said, Jacob Rigg, "'to me, your master's daughter, "'if you only meant to be joking. "'Is this the place to joke with me?' "'I pointed to all that lay around me, "'where I could not plant a foot "'without stepping over my brothers or sisters. "'And the old man, callous as he might be, "'could not help feeling for a pinch of snuff. "'This he found in his right-hand pocket of his waistcoat, and he took it very carefully, and made a little noise of comfort, and thus, being fully self-assured again, he stood with his feet far apart and his head on one side, regarding me warily, and I took good care not to say another word. "'You be young,' he said at last, "'and in these latter days no wisdom is ordained in the mouths of bays and sucklings,' nor always in the mouths of them as is themselves ordained. But you have a way of keeping your chin up, miss, as if you was gifted with a stiff tongue likewise. And whatever may hap, I has as good mind to tell ye That you're absolutely bound to do, I answered, as forcibly as I could. Duty to your former master, and to me his only child, and to yourself and your maker, too, compel you, Jacob Rigg, to tell me everything you know. Then, miss, he answered, coming nearer to me and speaking in a low, hoarse voice, as sure as I stand here in God's churchyard by all this murdered family, I knows the man who done it. He looked at me with a trembling finger on his hard-set lips, 
and the spade in his other hand quivered like a wind vane. But I became as firm as the monument beside me, and my heart, instead of fluttering, grew as steadfast as a glacier. Then, for the first time, I knew that God had not kept me living when all the others died, without fitting me also for the work there was to do. "'Come here to the corner of the tower, miss,' old Jacob went on, in his excitement catching hold of the sleeve of my black silk jacket. "'Where we stand is a queer sort of echo which goeth in and out of them big tombstones, and for aught I can say to contrary, he may be watching of us while we here stand.' I glanced around as if he were most welcome to be watching me, if only I could see him once. But the place was as silent as its graves, and I followed the sexton to the shallow of a buttress. Here he went into a deep gray corner, lichened and mossed by a drip from the roof, and being, both in his clothes and self, pretty much of that same color, he was not very easy to discern from stone when the light of day was declining. "'This is where I catches all the boys,' he whispered, and this is where I caught him, one evening when we were tired and gone to nurse my knees a bit. Let me see. Why, let me see. Don't you speak till I do, miss. Were it the last but one I dug, or could una been the last but two? Never mind, I can't call to mind quite justly. We puts down about one a month in this parish, without any distemper or accident. Well, it must have been the one afore last, to be sure. No call to scratch my head about him. Old Sally Mock, as sure as I stand here, done's handsome by the rate prayers. Over there, miss, if you please to look, about two lanyard and a half away. Can you see un with the grass peeking up already? Never mind that, Jacob. Do please go on. So I be, miss, so I be doing the best of power granted me. Well, I were in a little knuckle of a squat where old Sally used to say as I went to sleep, and charged the parish for it a spiteful old ooman, and I done her grave with pleasure, only wishing her had to pay for it, and to prove her mind that I never good sleep here, I was just making ready to set the fire to my pipe, having cocked my shovel in to ease my legs, like this, when from round the corner of the chancel foot and over again, and there old tree I seed something moving along, moving along, without any noise or declarance of solid feet walking. You may see the track burnt in the sod, if you let your eyes go along this here finger. Oh, Jacob, how could you have waited to see it? I did, miss, I did, being used to a many antics in this dead yard such as a man who hadn't buried them might upfoot to run away from, but they no right, after the service of the church, to come up for more than one change of the moon, unless they have been great malefactors, and then they be ashamed of it, and I reminds them of it. Amen, I say in the very same voice as I used at the tale of their funerals, and then they knows well that I covered them up, and the most uneasy goes back again. Lord bless you, miss, I no fear of the dead. At both ends of life, us be harmless. It is in life, and most ways in the middle of it, we makes all the death for one another. This was true enough, and I only nodded to him, 
fearing to interject any new ideas from which he might go rambling. "'Well, that there figure were no joke, mind you,' the old man continued, as soon as he had freshened his narrative powers with another pinch of snuff, being tall and grim and white in the face, and very unpleasant to look at, and its eyes seem almost to burn holes in the air. No sooner did I see it than it were not a ghosty, but a livin' man, the same as I be. Then my knees begin to shake and my stumps of teeth to chatter. And what do you think it was stopped me, miss, from slipping round this corner and away by Belfry? Nort but the hottest idea you ever heerd on. For all of a sudden it was borne into my mind that the Lord had been pleased to send us back the captain. Not so handsome as he used to be, but in the livin' flesh, however, in spite of these newspapers. And I were just at the point of coming forward and out of this dark corner, knowing I had done my duty by them graves that his honor to my mind must a come looking after. When, lucky for me, I see Sonnet in his walk, and then in his countenance, and then in all his features unnatural on the captain's part, whatever his time of life might be. And sure enough, miss, it were no captain more, nor I myself be. Of course not. How could it be? But who was it, Jacob? You bide a bit, miss, and you shall hear the whole. Well, by that time twas too late for me to slip away, and I was bound to scrooge up into the elbow of this nick here, and try not to breathe, and nigh as might be, and keep my lammas cough down for I never seen a face more full of malice and uncharity. However, he come on as straight as an arrow, holding his long chin out like this, as if he'd gotten crutches under it, as the folk does with bad water. A tall man, as tall as a cat most, but not gifted with any kind aspect. He tramped over the general graves like the devil come to fetch their souls out. But when he comed here to this here holy ring, he stopped short and stood with his back to me. I could hear him count the seven graves, as pat as the shells of oysters to pay for, and then he said all their names as true, from the biggest to the leastest one, as Betsy Bowen could a done, though none of them got no mark to em. Oh, the poor little hearts, it was so cruel hard upon them. And then my lady in the middle making seven. So far as I could catch over his shoulder, he seemed to be quite a-talkin' with her. Not as you and I be, miss, but sort of manner away like. And what did he seem to say? Oh, Jacob, how long do you take over it? Well, he did not, miss. That you may say for sartain. And glad I was to have him quick about it, for he might a reduced me to such a condition I, and I believe he woulda, if onst a caught sight of me as the parish might a add to fight over the appointment of another sexton. And so at last a went away, and I were that stiff from scroogin' in this cordner. Is that all? Oh, that comes to nothing. Surely you must have more to tell me. It may have been some one who knew our names. It may have been some old friend of the family. No, miss, no, no familiar friend. Or if he was, he were like King David's. He bore a tyrannous hate against thee, and the poison of asp were under his lips. In this here attitude he stood with his back toward me, and his reins more upright than I be capable of putting it. And this was how he held up his elbow and his head. Looky, see, miss, and then he know as much as I do. 
Mr. Rigg marched with a long, smooth step, a most difficult strain for his short, bowed legs, as far as the place he had been pointing out, and there he stood with his back to me, painfully doing what the tall man had done, so far as a difference of size allowed. It was not possible for me to laugh in a manner of such sadness, and yet Jacob stood with his back to me, spreading and stretching himself in such a way to be up to the dimensions of that stranger that, low as it was, I was compelled to cough for fear of fatally offending him. "'That weren't quite right, miss. Now you look again,' he exclaimed with a little readjustment. "'Only he had a thing over one shoulder, the like of what the Scotchmen wear, and his features was beyond me, because of the back of his head, like, for God's sake, keep out of his way, miss. The sexton stood in a musing and yet stern, defiant attitude, with the right elbow clasped in the left-hand palm, the right hand resting half-clinched upon the forehead, and the shoulders thrown back as if ready for a blow. What a very odd way to stand, I said. Yes, miss, and what he said was odder, Six and the mother, I heard him say. No cure for it till I have all seven. Oh, but stop, miss, not a breath to any one. Here comes the poor father and mother to speak the blessing across their daughter's grave, and the grave not two foot down yet. End of chapter 35